I was first made aware of assisted suicide in the seventh grade after watching the film Soylent Green. While it made a significant impression on me at the age of 13, it wasn't until recently that I realized I'm approximately the same age now as the film's central character. Soylent Green is set in 2022 in an overpopulated world that is lacking food resources. The character, Solomon Roth, played by Edward G. Robinson, admits himself into a government clinic called Home, where he is aided in ending his life. I hadn't thought of the Saul character until some 12 years after that when I first heard about a woman named Sue Rodriguez who fought for the legal right to end her own life. Rodriguez suffered from ALS, and her case landed on the lap of the Supreme Court of Canada, who would rule 5-4 in 1993 against her request. A year later, Rodriguez would take her own life with the help of a physician. Flash forward to February 2015 and a completely different Supreme Court. It struck down the federal law prohibiting physician-assisted dying. They gave the federal, provincial, and territorial governments a year to develop new laws and practices. The patient, according to the Supreme Court, who wants to end their life must be a competent adult who consents to ending their life due to a serious medical illness, disease, or disability that causes ongoing suffering. In 2015, an advisory committee of patients, healthcare, ethics, and legal experts spoke to organizations around the world on this issue. They released a report with at least 40 recommendations. The link to that report is on the introduction to this podcast. The final step was to hear from the people. Town hall-style meetings took place at nine locations in Ontario. If you couldn't make it to one, you were encouraged to fill out an online survey. I signed up to take part in the Toronto session. I heard a lot of passionate arguments from people on both sides of the spectrum, and in the true spirit of Canadians arguing, everyone was polite and let the other person speak. All right, let's get started. Test, 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 check, one, two, check, check. Test, one, one, check, one, one. Coming down in three, two, one. This is Station to Station. I'm Joe Pavia. I was a bit surprised, actually, at the low turnout of the town hall I was at. 250 people had registered, but only 130 showed up. They had the chair set up in 10 groups of 25. Each cluster, as they called it, would separately debate certain questions that were asked, and the person leading it, a surveyor, would take notes. In this episode, I speak to a person who was on the National Advisory Committee, a woman whose mother took her own life, a man who has helped people in the final stages of their lives, a well-known doctor who writes a syndicated column in Canadian newspapers, and an observer at the meeting who thought, despite all the discussion that occurred, there were a few other topics that should have been presented. Let's hear from Maureen Taylor first. I'm the widow of Dr. Donald Lowe. As well, I'm a physician assistant and a former CBC medical reporter. Dr. Lowe, if you remember, was the voice of reason and hope during the SARS crisis. Dr. Lowe died in 2013 at the age of 68. He had been diagnosed with a brain stem tumor earlier that year. Before he died, he recorded a video advocating for physician-assisted suicide. He called on those against assisted suicide to live in his body for 24 hours, saying it would change their minds about the issue. And he added, and I quote, I'm just frustrated at not being able to have control over my own life, not being able to make the decision for myself when enough is enough. This is my conversation with Maureen Taylor, 
who was the co-chair of the Provincial Territorial Expert Advisory Group. The ministry wants to hold these consultations now because there was no quote-unquote public consultation before our report came out. We reached out to all of the stakeholder associations, palliative care hospices, pe people with disabilities, Indigenous peoples, but now this is a chance for just Joe Public to come and say what they think. In reality though, what we know is the Supreme Court had said that on February 6th, 2016, the law prohibiting physician-assisted dying would be struck down and that date is still looming. Um, so provinces have got to anticipate that this, this may happen in just a few weeks and so legislation is being drafted behind the scenes. I know that all of the call like professional colleges are working on their own guidelines but this is a chance for the public to finally inform the Ontario government anyway about what they would like to see this look like. The, when you were speaking to the stakeholders and they came to you, um, did, where where were they sitting? Was it a majority? Was it medically, yes, this we need to move on and uh, make it happen for the people who are suffering? I wouldn't go by majority-minority because we didn't reach out to people in an attempt to be balanced on both sides. We just reached out to people who were identified to us as people who were considered stakeholders. So we heard, we, it ran the gamut. Obviously, when we heard from the religious hospitals, they you know, are not in agreement with physician-assisted dying. They accept the Supreme Court decision, but they don't want that to be done in their institutions. We heard that. We heard from people who have disabilities who said, I'm worried that somehow people with disabilities will be seen as expendable. And, you know, we spent some time informing them that in jurisdictions around the world where this uh, has been legal for some time, there is no evidence of a slippery slope. So we heard the gamut of everything, and we listened to all of it and then we've got our you know 43 recommendations as a way forward for the provinces and territories and we hope the federal government. How does the uh, Quebec decision affect what's happening here in Ontario? Good question. So uh, there was some concern that Quebec should not go ahead with their law because of the Supreme Court decision saying you know it's not legal until February 6th but in fact Quebec asked for a um, sort of a special dispensation if you will and the federal government agreed that Quebec already has done the consultations, got the legislation in place, and that they should go ahead. And there won't be any prosecution of physicians in Quebec who offer this to patients who qualify. Mm -hmm. okay. But uh, morally, does a doctor have to agree or do they transfer to right. someone else? So that's conscientious objection. Ah. If a doctor has a moral or conscientious objection to physician-assisted dying, they are not compelled to provide it. What our recommendation said, though, was you cannot abandon the patient. And that's true no matter what the issue sure. is. A woman who wants an abortion, a woman who wants birth control. You can't abandon your patient. So we said you should transfer that patient to the care of someone who will provide or a third-party person who will help the patient navigate to someone who will assess them. Maureen Taylor, thank you so much. Hey, thank you. Really nice meeting you. That's Maureen Taylor, co-chair of the Provincial Territorial Expert Advisory Group. The session got underway with some speeches and ground rules. A representative from Ipsos Reid explained his group was there to listen to what the people had to say. He introduced a representative from the Ministry of Health who told us he had been living and breathing the issue for the last year. Concerns and questions the MOH had were, what form should physician-assisted dying take? 
safeguards of vulnerable people, balancing the rights of patients and the doctors? How is the competency of a person who wants to end their life assessed? How would life or health insurance be affected? And where would the last breath occur? Who would be in the room? How would the medical administration occur? The Ipsos spokesperson returned to explain certain questions would be put on a screen throughout the night and we would vote with this electronic transponder that looks somewhere between a remote control and a calculator and the vote tabulation would appear on the big screen. We were told the results were not binding to anything, only that the Ipsos surveyors wanted to gauge how the room was feeling about certain issues. Then that same question would be taken to the cluster group. Now, in my cluster, there seemed to be a majority of people connected to the medical community somehow. There was a young woman and her two friends who always referred to how Oregon dealt with assisted dying. Three women who, based on what I had heard them say, were sitting on the fence, a physician who I'll introduce in a moment, and another man who seemed to know a lot of people who were in end-of-life situations. He piqued my curiosity, and I needed to find out who he was. Yes, my name is Tom Koch. I'm a I've worked in this field since 1990 as a caregiver, as a consultant, as a commentator, as a researcher, as a writer. Uh, I've taken care of people and I consult basically from Honolulu to to England on the issue of chronic and palliative care. Um, Your impressions of this evening, Tom? I have no doubt the ministry is trying to do its best job in a hard situation. And this was one example of trying to move from the general reports to something in which they can make a very specific program. What we forget and what wasn't mentioned was that we can also still refuse it, that the courts decriminalizing does not mandate that this type of care. And so there were a number of problems for me with certain of the languages being used. We're not talking about end of life, we're talking about ending life. We're not talking about assisting dying, we're talking about enacting dying. And those make big differences when we're talking about the life and death of the citizens of this province. My own view is that all of this is premature. If we spend half as much time talking about facilitating the life of people who are fragile or ill or limited, as we have about facilitating the rapid death, we probably wouldn't have needed this talk at all. Certainly it brings up a lot of more questions, too. No, it just changes the debate entirely, if you believe it. Okay. How so? That was a good debate. Well, yeah. if we have the palliative care so people are not afraid of pain, and we can do that with good palliative care if it's provided universally, if we have the social and rehabilitative services to allow people with limits to be full members of society, as Fletcher is, the MP from the Prairies, they're not going to want to die. So before we talk about dying, we should talk about making sure that all the services are available for which people are saying that they are suffering. Take care of the suffering first. Then let people live. Thank you, Tom. Tom Koch wrote an opinion piece in the Globe and Mail on this issue. He was a consultant on the Carter case. Now, the case of Kay Carter, who suffered from spinal stenosis, and Gloria Taylor, an ALS patient, is what sparked the challenge on assisted dying, which eventually led to the Supreme Court of Canada's decision. By the way, that Fletcher that Tom Koch speaks of is former Conservative MP Stephen Fletcher, a quadriplegic who introduced two bills to legalize physician-assisted dying something his bosses within the Conservative Party disagreed with. The issue of palliative care was raised a few times in the evening. It was the story this woman told about her aging mother that turned a few heads and led to the loudest applause of the night. Can I get your name? Lance Lynn Brayman Waters. 
my mother decided at um, nine to five that because she was legally blind and because she had a visa vehicle problem, her biggest passion was reading, that uh, she'd had enough of life. And she decided to uh, stop eating. And she thought it'd take her three days, but it took her six weeks and it was very, very difficult, not only for her, but for us. And luckily I had my friend Catherine as a huge help, but um, it was awful. But the thing I remember my mother saying is, they won't let me go in a dignified, quick fashion, but they'll send young people off to die in wars with impunity. There's no thought. I mean, people are killed every day. And we don't have the same debate over whether it's right or wrong. And you made a commitment to your mother, I understand. Yes, I did. Tell um, me about it. Well, uh, it wasn't when she was alive, it was after, um, because I saw how she suffered, um, that I decided that I should do something to advocate for a choice in how one finishes off one's life if one is disenchanted with it hopefully for medical reasons. I mean, mental health is a medical issue, mm -hmm. too. And it's, it's sort of nebulous, I suppose, because people can see if your arm's dropped off, but they can't see necessarily when you're mentally in anguish. And it's got to be really thought out, but the idea has to be discussed, and um, I think we can move forward with it. I think it's essential. What did you make of tonight? What did you make of this evening, the very discussion? Very positive, very positive, and I love the results that, we, that were up there. Mm -hmm. The majority of the room seems to understand that this is an issue uh, that they would like to see move forward so that people have a choice as to how they want to terminate or end their lives, whether it's gracefully and painlessly, if possible, or whether they prefer to suffer if they have to. I mean, it should be a choice. No one should force you. Some people's religions won't let them go in any other way but so-called naturally. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, some people, in my, one person in my group said, not only religious, but not wanting a doctor or a lawyer to decide. He wanted it to be his personal choice. But it has to be backed up by evidence. Yeah. It should be. True. It's got to be. Um, otherwise, I mean, people can do all sorts of things, I suppose. It, it's got to be done by somebody of competence mm -hmm. and, and with, the, with the seconding of a physician or two. But in our group, we talked about, uh, somebody raised the point that, well, I raised the point actually, that you can't always get your hands on a physician. So there is going to have to be some team, or as a person suggested, that moves around because a lot of us are going to be incapable of moving around, they can actually come to your house and, and put this into place. But the best thing to do is set this up beforehand in your will yes. and with the right legalese behind it. Some people's religions won't let them, she said. Now, the topic of religion came up during a conversation I had with Dr. W. Gifford-Jones. You may recognize the name as he writes a syndicated column that appears in many newspapers across Canada. Here's what he said. How do you talk to a person like that who is, although medically and scientifically they understand what is happening, but religiously they have a, an issue? Well, I think there's a rather simple solution to it. And unfortunately, the government, as always, makes it complicated. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've been pro-choice for years. And I recall 
over 30 years ago, uh, presenting a case on doctor-assisted suicide to a Senate committee in Ottawa. I think it went in one ear and out the other. So here we are, over 30 years later, talking about the same thing. I'm actually a friend to both sides. Mm -hmm. uh, I would defend to the death those who want to go to the last drop of blood and, and, and pain if they wish to. Uh, but I believe that they, uh, that they have been totally unresponsive to those of us who uh, want to be pro-choice. Sure. And I think that the very simple solution, uh, I don't want to be told by the government, uh, by a doctor, my own colleagues, by lawyers or religious people what to do. And although I appreciate their cause, I think there's a simple way around that. By having a legal document and there's certainly enough lawyers in Ottawa to, to, to pull one of these together. That is no ifs, ands, or buts to it. So if I am totally against doctor-assisted suicide, I can sign that form. And uh, if, uh, if that doesn't suffice for them, uh, then I would suggest that they wear a bracelet around their arm or around their neck saying, I'm totally against doctor-assisted suicide. And if, then if that doesn't uh, solve the problem, let them pull together, a, as I have done in my uh, situation, a committee. Uh, my committee com consists of my wife, my children, and I've rather facetiously said I'd also like a veterinarian on my committee uh, who would treat me with the same loving care that he would treat a loving dog mm -hmm. who's in pain. Wow. So that if those three things do not satisfy the, the, uh, those who are against assisted suicide, then I would have to conclude that nothing will, will, uh, will make them happy. Mm -hmm. So that uh, I'm, in the, I'm in, the, in the fortunate position that I'm a member of Dignitas in, in Zurich, Switzerland, and have been for several years. Okay. And my number is 18924. <laughs> and uh, so that I, I can afford to go with, and buy a one-way ticket to Switzerland. Unfortunately, some people can't, and that's not fair. Mm -hmm. So if I do develop metastatic cancer or a neurological problem or whatever it may be and want to end my life, I can get that plane ticket and, and uh, I'm well, uh, well looked after. Now let me interject for a second. Dignitas Organization was started in 1998 by Ludwig Minelli. Since then, 1,000 people have traveled to Switzerland to terminate their life with the help of qualified doctors and nurses. Minelli's group helps people with terminal illness and severe physical and mental illness. Assisted suicide has been permitted in Switzerland since 1942. Among the rules, the recipient of the fatal drug must be involved in the administration, and it's only illegal if a person is found to assist in a suicide for their own personal gain. Okay, back to Dr. Jones. So when did you get your number? Well, I got it maybe three or four years ago. Okay. And, uh, and uh, what prompted you to do that? Because of what was not happening in Canada? Basically because I can't do it in Canada. Yeah. And in Canada, I would have to shoot myself. Or, or, uh, and that's a messy affair. Oh, for sure. And something that you shouldn't have to do. Nor, nor should Canadian citizens in a democratic society have to go to another country to end their life. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, away from their family and friends. And as I say, a lot of people can't afford to go there. Sure. Or, 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 or too ill to go there, so that uh, we should have this uh, uh, ability to uh, make our own decision uh, when that time comes. Yeah. Where Dignitas is concerned, 
you indicated that it was quite pricey. Are you willing? Quite, would you? What? You said it was it was quite pricey. Possibly a well, lot of people I, I can afford it, that. I, I Is think that something cost, you to talk about? I think my fee to join Dignitas was five hundred dollars. Okay. And I have an annual fee of about a hundred Swiss francs, which is a little over a hundred dollars. So you know, it's, it's something you, sh you shouldn't have to pay sure. for. Oh, but yeah. to me, I look on it as a strictly as an insurance policy. Mm -hmm. And uh, I have written about this for years and years, and, and uh, I hope it comes to fruition uh, soon. But you know, the other thing is, as a medical journalist, I get uh, you know I, I write for about six million people a week. I get a lot of mail. And I had one just a few days ago, which shows that the, 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 tonight it's sort of showtime. You know, it, it's, it, we don't need this meeting tonight. We've had uh, other discussions in Canada that have shown the majority of Canadians are for doctor-assisted suicide. But here was a woman who uh, had rectal bleeding. It took her three months to see her family doctor. It took her another three months to see a doctor to see a colonoscopy. And all the time, this could be a metastatic cancer of the large bowel. Yeah. We should be spending our money on that rather than meetings like this tonight. Excellent. Dr. Jones, thank you so much. My, my pleasure. Back to the cluster and the discussion questions. Now, how do you think physician-assisted dying should be administered? That was one. And the majority was 76 people voting for a choice between patient or physician. 19 voted they opposed physician-assisted dying under any circumstance. Another question, how should consent to assisted dying be requested, written, oral, or video? Eligibility should be based on competence rather than age. They asked people if they strongly agreed or disagreed or I oppose physician-assisted dying under any circumstance. And that made it to all the slides, by the way. Now, in this case, a majority of people in the room voted that it should be up to a competent person. Other discussion included the what-ifs. What if a dose is given to the patient, but the patient dies before taking it? How do you make sure that fatal dose doesn't get into the wrong hands? What if your doctor doesn't want to assist your death? Should a doctor be able to be a conscientious objector? Would you trust your doctor if they helped in assisted dying? How is the public educated? How do you train a physician? What if you sign a document, kind of like an organ donor registration, to indicate your wishes that, yes, you want to have assistance in dying, or no, you don't? A lot of questions to consider. And in the end, the last question was the same as the first. How likely are you to consider physician-assisted dying if you were eligible? The results were slightly similar to the first time the slide popped up. My final interview of the evening was with a participant from the medical profession who asked to be identified as Bill. What do you take away from this? I guess um, from an emotional perspective, I think that there is um, there's a real fear about dying and death um, that is in the background. And um, there's also... Um, I think maybe connected to that um, a strong um, desire for control over lots of uncertainties sure. and that um, that's part of the I think that the conversations I, I was hearing mm -hmm. I think that there's still a lot of basic misunderstandings about end-of-life stuff um, you know this this notion about well, confusion about uh, you know stopping things and and uh, providing aggressive uh, symptom management as as not euthanasia. That's not what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. um, 
I guess another impression is that there, there is no distinction being made between uh, these two modes of providing euthanasia, which is uh, patients take a lethal dose of some medication and physicians administer a lethal injection. Mm -hmm. And uh, they're both talked about as if they were quite, quite the same thing. Sure. The, the end result, I suppose, is the same. But from a, I think from an ethical perspective, uh, physicians engaged in sort of um, taking over and ending someone's life is a whole different mm -hmm. uh, level of um, risk of corruption, I think. Sure. Sure. Uh, and uh, anyway, that, that just never came up as far as I could hear. Okay. I think the other, one other impression is, you know, there was a lot of discussion, discussion and concern about access to this new uh, intervention. And this is actually being talked about as a positive, sort of a new positive right. I have right to this. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but at the same time, th there isn't a positive right to other healthcare things yeah. like palliative care. I mean, these aren't positive rights in, yeah. in Ontario. And so, in a sense, the, c the concern about access is heightened to something uh, that um, uh, is quite, you know, uh, well, it's, it's quite unique among positive things that people have a right to. Right? Yeah, um, it's certainly something that, and I, one person in our group indicated that it was something, it is one medical issue that has never really been ever discussed before, and we're, you know, venturing off into, into a new area, and which makes people feel uncomfortable. Treatment, right? It's, it's been defined as a medical treatment, okay. and, and I guess it's a question of, uh, you know, is the medical profession willing to accept that? Okay. Yeah. Um, there, I think that there are... I mean that that's a complicated question because there are some uh, um, reasons why the medical profession would want to kind of maintain their control over sure. all these things, uh, but uh, there is a risk to the profession. Conduct an internet search on physician-assisted dying and you'll receive volumes of information and opinion on the legality and morality surrounding the issue. Walking out of that consultation in Toronto I thought maybe there would be more answers. There were, but there were also more questions. What would I do? What would my family and friends do? I also wondered, what would Sue Rodriguez make of all of this? Like it or not, physician-assisted dying will be a reality in Canada. It already is in the province of Quebec and a number of American states and other spots around the world. Agree or disagree with this issue? It certainly makes us talk. You've been listening to Station to Station. I'm Joe Pavia. Check out other podcasts, blogs, and photos posted to the site. If you want to get in touch with me, you can leave a reply at the bottom of this page or send an email to s2spod at gmail.com. That's the number two, s2spod at gmail.com. You'll also find that address on the About Joe page. If you follow this site, you'll receive instant notification via email of a new post. All you have to do is go to the bottom of the homepage and enter your email address. You can even sign up a friend if you like. That's all. Take care.